Hey Life Church Canton, Roger here. So glad you're with us this week. If you are a brand new listener, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Be sure to subscribe and follow us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Either way, God is doing so much in this church and in this community. And if you want to be a part of that, you can. And one of the best ways to, to do that is through giving. Uh, you can give online by going to our Now page. So that opportunity is always there for you to be a part of uh, what God is doing. Today you'll hear a little bit more than you usually get. Usually I, I just get the sermon for everyone to listen to. But this week, we actually, before the sermon, we have a prayer from our worship director, David Booth, a really powerful prayer, a prayer that uh, some of you may have heard if you've been here for a couple years. But either way, I hope you enjoy that. It has, uh, you'll see, it has ties directly into what Pastor Nathan will be talking about in his message. So enjoy that. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, hope you enjoy it. I want to introduce us into a time of confession. Father, forgive our country. We have killed millions in the name of conquest and convenience. We have been arrogant as a nation. We've erected Japanese internment camps out of fear. We empowered and embraced slavery in all of its evils. We killed Native Americans and we stole their land. We made lynch knobs. Make excuses. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive the church. For we have killed millions in your name through the Crusades. We not only condone slavery, but we empowered it by twisting your word. We have not loved people who look and act differently than us, especially the LGBTQ community. We have not loved our enemies, we curse them. We have made following Jesus a matter of comfort. We have made politicians into kings and our kings into priests. We've devalued sing singles and ignored the widows and orphans. We've justified locking children in cages because of fear. We've allowed infidelity and assault in our priests and pastors, and we have hurt people. Father, forgive us. And Father, forgive me. I've yelled at my children in anger because I'm frustrated, and I've spoken maliciously about your children. I've taken the calling on my own life lightly and put my own preferences first. I have been a poor ambassador of your name. I've ignored my wife because I'm selfish when she needed me. I've cared first about the opinion of men and women over the opinion of you. I've not told the whole truth in order to avoid conflict. And I've placed material wealth over the wealth of your spirit. I have failed the standard you have placed over me. Father, forgive me. God, we are covered in sin. Without your son, where would we be? 
Remind us of your promise again. In this time of confession, I pray that God will prepare your heart and your mind for the truth that he wants to bring and that it would fill you with hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. And you guys can have a seat. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. That confession that David read, powerful. It was delivered on this stage almost exactly three years ago. I gave it that time. David gave it this time, and he wrote a few things in his own personal confession that were different than mine, but that was given here. And it was a unique experience. Uh, For many people, they'd never experienced a public confession, especially not a pastor confessing on behalf of the church or the country, uh, maybe on behalf of themselves. And so it created a a lot of stir in people. What is confession? Confession is a verbal, outward expression of something that's happened deep inside. And what's happened deep inside is the word repentance. Repentance. Repentance means turning away from something and turning towards something. The role of repentance has been huge in the church, but also in God's story. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, in the Old Testament, it is a promise of healing that repentance precedes it. It says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, right? humble, pray and seek, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, sometimes we talk about this as if it's like we'll heal the entire land, but he's talking about Israel, the people of God. And from Jesus' own mouth in the New Testament, repentance is a precursor to participating in something new. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, turn away, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it precedes something, precedes something beautiful. Confession flows from repentance, and repentance, it does something. It shakes the foundation of pride and arrogance and indifference in us as individuals and a community, and it tills the ground of our collective soul, so that new life can come forth. The kingdom of God is near. And on that stage, three years ago, something cracked in our church. Something changed in that moment. Now, while the majority of individuals were curious, and they used it as an opportunity to grow in their understanding of systemic prejudice and the very real role the church had in the oppression of people, and to dive into things like be the bridge and to grow, and not just in relation to that, but grow in it, some, it deeply disturbed them, and they weren't able to get past that moment of confession before the sermon. They couldn't hear the hearts of the rest because it disturbed them. Some came to me or wrote to me and said, what gives you the right to confess our sins? And how dare you ask for forgiveness on my behalf? I didn't do any of these things. 
They couldn't get past that moment to hear about what confession and repentance does, that it's crucial to dismantling our self-justification systems that allow us to explain away behaviors that we do, to deny the negative consequences of our actions or inactions, or simply to ignore the justice and love required of us. That was what the sermon was about. You can go back and check it out if you like. But let me sum it up in saying this. Self-justification systems, they evaporate the pressure we feel when what God demands of us is more than we are willing to give. We all have them. Essentially, what it is, is I want to be seen and I want to see myself a certain way. And when something I do or don't do doesn't line up with that, I have to explain it away. The problem is, when we do that, we miss out on what God has for us. What does the Word of God demand of us? Since the very beginning, God has said what He has demanded and shown what He has demanded. Mike, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. And to love mercy, and that last one, walk humbly with your God. Repentance is one of the purest forms of humility. That crack in our church, in our foundation, occurred and it began to shake us. Little did we know that just a few years later, the elections and racial unrest and the murder of innocence and a global pandemic would cause it not only to further crack, but begin to erode at any of our facade that we had put in place, any of our theology that had been placed on convenience or arrogance or pride. It didn't just crack, and it didn't just crack in our church. It crumbled and it fell apart because facades can't bear the weight of anything. Little did we know that that call of repentance would signal a work that God was doing that would cause so much turmoil. But I regret nothing. It wasn't even really up to me. It was up to God. I'm grateful beyond belief that God has revealed the true heart of men and women for all to see because then when it is out in the open, repentance and humility and what comes next can come. And that's the message I have for you today. We've been on a journey for three years and we're still on that journey, but I want you to know that repentance back then and repentance now leads to something that's powerful and beautiful. Repentance, it leads to revival. Repentance leads to revival. So as we touch back on this in our 21 days of prayer and how this applies to unity, I want you to know that this entire message is pushing us towards Jesus and what he is going to do. Because it's time again for us to confess our sins to the one who is faithful and just to forgive our sins and heal our land. Martin Luther, the great reformer, hundreds of years ago said, all of the Christian's life is one of repentance. It starts that way. And for all eternity, up until we are made perfect in Jesus, we repent of the brokenness in our hearts and turn back to God. Let me tell you a story. So I used to live in Ohio. I don't know if any of you knew that. I don't really talk about it much. 
Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but I lived in Ohio, and there was a, a, a church there, a little church, been around for 150 years, in, in, out in the outskirts, and I knew the pastor there. The pastor was telling me the story. He had been there for about four or five years, and everything was just going to absolute crap. Like, it was bad. Everything couldn't get anything done. Everything went wrong. There was arguments and bitterness and, like, fighting and tragedy, and it just didn't seem like anyone could connect, and he was just exhausted and falling apart, and he came to the end of himself, and he said, God, like, I need you to tell me to do something so that I don't go crazy, and he felt God say, why don't you just go clean the basement of the church? He's like, all right, whatever. So he goes down to the basement. In a 150-year-old ba- year old church, there's a lot of stuff in the basement. So he's just in there cleaning to do something. And he starts rifling through a couple boxes, and he finds this one box, which looks really old. He starts pulling out papers that are really old. And he pulls out this document that looks really official to him. And so he pulls it out and lays it down and starts to read it. And as he's reading it, his face drained of color. He said, I felt a physical response to what I was reading because what was in his hands was the charter that his church had started for the local chapter of the KKK years and years and years and years and years ago. And he's holding in his hand that this church had started this. And the devastation of years and years and years he's holding. He presented it to the rest of the church and they burned it. And they had a ceremony of forgiveness and repentance for what the church had done. They wept, they cried, they begged God to forgive them. And then God healed them and began to use them to heal the community. It was so important that we understand this. And you might be saying in your head, oh, thank goodness we aren't them. Thank goodness we don't have in our basement a box and we pull out a KKK that we started this horrible thing in our community. At least we don't have that. And, and, and I guess, but you're missing the point. You see, no single member of this church's parents were even alive when this happened. None of them knew it had happened. It was something that was buried deep, deep, deep. And yet, they repented as if it was theirs. Because they humbled themselves before God. There is a purpose to owning the mistakes of the past because it brings healing. And there is a spiritual reality and forces at work in the church that are working today. And when we understand that repentance isn't about whether we're really responsible or not, but about justice and mercy, humility, and about a spiritual realm, things change. Martin Luther King Jr., tomorrow, we celebrate this man who represented not just him, but an entire movement of people, but a man who gave his life what he believed in. His life and what he preached was always a call to repentance, to white people and people with influence and power, absolutely, as it should have been, but also to those who are oppressed, especially to those who are black, who had suffered years of oppression and bitterness and frustration had caused them to act in unkind, unloving, and damaging ways. And he called them to repentance, even though it wasn't their fault. He called them to a life of love and kindness. I remember reading it and just being like, 
reading his messages and being like, this man couldn't stop calling people to love. He adopted his namesake, Martin Luther, and he called everyone to a life of repentance. The call is no different today. In the middle of the civil rights movement, he, he wrote this. You may recognize these words from Dr. King. It may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Wait, it'll all work itself out. Well, I mean, we can choose to wait on time since we're not racist and we didn't do it. Or we can wait on time and, and just choose to stick with the people who look like us. I don't want to mix with anybody else. I just want to stay where I feel like I don't have to do anything. I can just stay here and be safe. Relatively. After all, the civil rights movement was something that's over. It's done, right? Or <laughs> we can recognize that above all the political rhetoric, uh, which is a lot to get above, believe me, all the powers in this world, there is a judge and a power that calls us higher. He has shown you what is good to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Humility calls us to repent of our indifference and turn toward something more beautiful, powerful, to turn towards revival. I want to jump back into this priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 that we have been praying over this entire time. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to God about the disciples who are right there. Kind of like, you know, talking about someone in the third person, right? He's talking about them. But he's saying... It's not just for them. I pray, pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which means you. He is praying for you in this moment. He is a timeless individual. He knows exactly what's going on. He's praying for you. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the whole world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is looking around at the Jewish men and women around him. Most of them would most likely be the brown people, right? And there may be some black people in that area and that kind of thing. But he was looking beyond not just their color, but also their Jewishness to the Gentiles. And you're thinking, oh, the Gentiles are another group of people. No, no, it just means others. Anyone who's not a Jew. Goy is what they would call goyim, like all the others. He was looking beyond that. He was looking beyond time to not just that area of the country, but moving forward from black and brown to, to Asia and Europe to, to the white people. He was looking through to you even now and all of them. He's saying all of them, not just the Jewish people, but all of them would be one. Not just one in idea, but one like I'm one with you. I think about that. And I think about Jesus, I said, Jesus, you're crazy. You're being ridiculous. There's no way that can happen. There's no way that we can be one like you are one with the Father, 
Do you not know what we go through? I mean, we've been in, drilled this into us from birth in a, in a way. I mean, we get into the school district. I mean, high schoolers, tell me, can you imagine being a one with every other student, every other clique, every other group of people in your school alone? Like, they're just so different than us. I mean, if you're a male like I was at that time, I looked at women, I'm like, I don't even understand them. They're different creatures. They're not even, I don't get it. They're beautiful and amazing, but I don't understand how they think. Like, the idea of, like, being one with, with, with everyone, it's ridiculous. And then we learn as we grow up that we have all these other cliques we got to jump into, don't we? We got to find the right political party. We got to find the right community we want to live in. We got to find the right group of people at work and so on and so forth and so on and so forth and so on. Do you understand that our world is designed on us being other? And he has the gall, the audacity to say, may they be one. This is not some institutional unity, some idea. This is a personal and relational unity. Relational unity. It wasn't about converting people to uniformity. They proved that later. It wasn't about them becoming Jewish, but about being one. It's about deep connection. You got to go to the last week and listen to why that's possible. Last week, we talked about how our new nature as sons and daughters is why we have unity in Jesus and a common source of life. That is how I can say with confidence, how is it possible for you to know Jesus Christ and hate your black brother, to hate your white sister, to hate your brown sister, brother, et cetera, et cetera? How is it possible? Because this is not the identity you have been given. And you might say, well, I don't hate them. I'm not racist. You don't want to be around them. You see, that's what happens. We, we move it a little bit. We, we want our distance. We want our silence. I, that's the question. Is, if you saw your brother hurting and in pain, would you say, well, I didn't give him that pain? I didn't do that to them? I'm just going to stay over here and see how it turns out. Or would you jump in and act justly and love mercy? You see, those who you and we and I have ignored are our brothers and our sisters. So will you let me double down and by saying this isn't just unity in the faith. It's not just institutional. It's not just unity in the faith. We believe the same things, but unity in ethnicity and in diversity, in our differences, that they may be one. Dr. King said this, years ago. Segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we all have in Christ Jesus. Segregation. They used to have laws about separating people, separating blacks and whites and everybody else, basically everybody from the white people. We used to have laws about that. Segregation is what it was called, and Dr. King was fighting against it. In 1956, he gave an address, and he talked about segregation. And he said, segregation is the child of slavery. What he's saying about this, segregation is the child of slavery. And he believed that segregation was an old man breathing out his last breath. I don't know, Dr. King. Either that old man on his deathbed 
has the lung capacity of an Olympic swimmer and has been breathing out his last breath for a very, very long time. Or something has changed. Something new was born. What you may have already seen on the screen is this. As segregation was the child of slavery, so willful detachment is slavery's grandchild. Now I'm speaking specifically to Christians at this point. Isolating ourselves, this willful detachment away from people who are other than us, our willingness to say, nope, you can have church over there, I'll have church over here. In fact, I don't have to care about you, we'll just do our own thing. That is actually still disunity. It is still separation, and it still does not allow justice to come. No longer do we need laws to separate us. We do fine just on our own. Now, I'm going to say some things that are hard. These things have been said to me. Because it's not over there. It's not in some other place. It is here that we need repentance. It's in our community right now where people care more about their house value depreciating because they are busing in black children from Detroit. They care more about that than they do about the precious life of that child on that bus. Because they're so detached from it, all they can think about is mine. People don't want apartment complexes to go up in our community either because it will bring lower-income people and it will hurt the quality of our schools and then it will drive our house market down. And they say these things while well, our house market is exploding. And God forbid you put an Amazon facility up the block because it will change the Plymouth community by adding more brown people and more Mexicans. You know we have our own box in the basement, Canton, in this area. Do you know that why Canton exists at the size it does today? It's because years ago, people fled Detroit to get away from those people. I'm tired of people spe speaking in riddles in the light of day. And then when they are alone and feel safe to express themselves, because I am white, they speak these things to me. You think they would know me better by now. Slavery and segregation's family has come home to roost, and I will not allow what is said in the shadows to stay in the shadows, but to bring it to the light. Is it any wonder why people have left their churches across America in droves because they were called to humility and repentance? One more story. Because sometimes we still want to do right, but we don't quite get it. When someone was interviewing here, they were asked a good question, why do you want to come here? And their answer was this, because I believe in the biblical justice and love work that Life Canton has been doing and is going to do, and I want to be part of what's going to happen next. The response was quizzical in nature from this individual and said, well, we already planted a black church. What else is there to do? The goal had been finished because we have a church for black people. We did our part. The pattern was widespread, relegating even the black people in our church to other black people, celebrating our diversity to others without including their voices. 
I hesitated to share any of this because I never want you to think it's about an individual, those people, that they did wrong. It isn't. It is about me. It is about me. I must repent. You must repent. We must repent. And I want to be clear, this is not us versus them. This is not us, the real Christians, versus those other people, whether they left or they're in other churches or whatever. It's not about that. I want to be clear about that. It's so important for you to understand that it's not real Christians who engage in social justice and vote a certain way or wear masks or whatever idea you want to talk about. That's not the real Christians because, again, that's getting back to us versus them. We are all one. It's one field. I just want to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Let me be clear. In the words of Dr. Terry Warder, one of my Uh, most influential people in my life. He said this, you are a real Christian because you have expressed faith in Christ, because God has redeemed you by the blood of Jesus, because you have the Holy Spirit living inside. You have received a new identity, a new nature, a new heart, a new spirit, new gifts, and a new community. You have been a real Christian since the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, filled with wonders and gifts, freely given and yet to be discovered. You will misbehave as a real Christian. And when you do, it does not make you any less real. It makes you human and in need of Christ's help. Christ, help us. Christ, help us. We could be and should be on our knees praying for the weight of the sin of our community and asking for God's healing. Disunity, detachment. I love the willful detachment, emotional detachment. I'm intentionally becoming other from those in the church. It's evidence of a lack of repentance and the idol of pride running rampant in our church It's it's evidence that we're actually rejecting this new life that is ours. See, you're a real Christian. You have all this inside of you. But we push it away and say, look, you can have this part or this part or this part, but not that part. Because I'm scared. Anything short of complete and all-encompassing unity requires repentance. It requires repentance. I want us to turn our eyes for a moment to what's coming, to revival. The revival, the the building up of a new thing. I want you to know that there's no revival without the Spirit of God moving. And there's no spirit apart from the unity of the Spirit. And there's no unity of the Spirit without repentance because we hurt people and our people have hurt people people. I'm talking about all of us, white, black, or other, Indian. I don't care. We've hurt people. And without repentance, the unity of the Spirit doesn't grow. And revival, well, God will do revival where he wants to do revival. We just might not be part of it. So my first action step is to pray for repentance. For you, some of you have been here for three years and been through it. Some of you have come during those three years. Repentance didn't just start three years ago. It's an ongoing process. It's very simple. This is what you do in this 21 days of prayer. Start off by saying, Father, I turn away from, name something, an action, an attitude, a behavior, 
and I turn toward you. So you might identify that some of the things I've talked about today are, are things you need to turn away from, and then I turn towards the truth of John 17 that we are one. This is a process you go through, and when this happens, repentance leads to revival. When we do this, it'll lead to revival. If you want to be part of what God is going to do, start repenting of what he's doing, and it will bring new life. John 17, 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they might be one as we are one. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. A reminder, this is all about Jesus, all about what he has done. He has given us the ability to live as one, to repent and grow. Remember, he's praying to God and he's saying, I'm doing all this because of you. You gave me glory. And he's holding out his hand. He's like, come on, guys, be part of this. And when you follow him, he puts it inside of you. He says, come on, be part of this. This isn't about shame. This is about revival. So revival is God's glory and it happens in our unity. When we start to see all of our differences come together, our voice becomes stronger as it becomes more diverse. We live together side by side, growing in understanding, no longer separate, but one. Yeah, you can clap about that if you're excited about it. <laughs> you're always allowed to speak back to me, as long as it's not about that one team over there. It's not really good. We you be one. It's all good. <laughs> I met someone here. Um, her name is, is Rita Smith, and Rita is a blessing and a joy um, to get to know, and, and she's going to be uh, serving on our nominating committee. Um, but when she introduced me, she brought over uh, someone and introduced her as her twin sister. And uh, the person that she introduced was Sean Lockhart as her twin sister which for those of you who are giggling, uh, know that uh, they're very, very uh, starkly different in their uh, skin tone. Uh, <laughs> one is very white and one is black. And so I was extremely confused. And uh, I think Rita says, I can see that you're confused that we're twin sisters. Well, I'm taller than her. And so like this is a running joke. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what is happening right now? And I didn't feel like I'm going to lose no matter what I say. But it, it's a joke. Uh, and it was beautiful. Later, though, I understood that their love for each other reflected the kind of sisterly love found in Christ and a life together that bared each other's burdens and fought for each other in such a way that it could only be expressed as family. So it made sense to me now. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of Sean Lockhart, who went home to be with the Lord, 49 years old. The most prophetic person I have known. And the people that were there, it was full in here. And there was a beautiful mashup of people who didn't look the same, act the same, dress the same, or even get along. In fact, there were many in this room who mourn and grieve what this church has become in the last three years or have strong negative feelings towards leadership and to people who go here, but they were here. Why? Because Sean's life was about unity. Because Sean could do it. 
Because Sean understood something about Jesus, about his love, about this, that it transcended all this, all this bullshit. Would that we could have that humility. I'm going to honest you, I'm not there. I got some repenting to do. I'm not there. But I know that if we do this together, something will change. That's what you belong means. That's what it means. And something beautiful is coming. And it's here. And there are good things that we have done. This church has done great things. And we will do more. In 2022, we'll have a greater inclusion of diversity than ever in our leadership. Our leadership on the nominating committee and leadership team will include black, white, Hispanic, Indian, old, young, single, married, different income levels, living in different areas of our community, citizens and immigrants. Just our leadership team. This is beautiful and it's costly, but it is good and we should celebrate. We will see all of the diversity present in our community, present in our church and our expressions of worship and hospitality, and discipleship, and leadership, and service, and sacrifice will be as many colored as the people who sit in our seats, who serve in our church, and who sit at the table of leadership. It is coming. It is here. We will look more like the party we will see in Revelations where every tongue and tribe and nation will give glory to God, not in one language, but in every language and in every way. And the joy of what God will do will overcome. That is what revival is. John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. Revival draws every person to Jesus Christ. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. People will trust and encounter Jesus for the first time because they trust that you love them, that we love them. Our relentless pursuit of one more will ring true and authentic and not about coming to some club, but coming to a place where there is actually safety and actually the ability to be yourself and to grow and transform into everything that God created you to be. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We will see Jesus' glory. The dead will rise, the sick will be healed, the lame will walk, young men will dream dreams, and women will prophesy. The alcoholic will become sober, sober and the wife beater will become gentle as a lamb. And more miraculous than all of that, that all the brokenness and hurt and pain that we have suffered will be healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, and only because of Jesus Christ. 
We are driven by new life. We are driven by revival. We are driven by what God is doing. And so we will make the hard choices with humility and we will continue to get back on our knees and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I love you and I love your people. All I have left for you is this, the same thing that Jesus is offering you him, but also prayer, unity in the spirit. God's the one who's going to have to do this. So my step for you is to start praying for revival. Start praying for it. It's here. It's coming, but start praying for it. Start investing in it. Start believing that it's coming, and that that means you come tonight on 21 days of prayer. We're doing our 630 gathering and pray, or you're praying on your own, but we start praying for us to be the people who are willing to act justly and love mercy and to do it in a humble way, that we will do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. As we finish, I, I just want to remind you, pray for repentance, for you, for us. Pray for revival, for you, for us, for everyone. It's one field. And invest your life. Get into a group. Give. There's a vision that's costly that is moving forward of revival. Be a part of it. Invest in it. Your time, your energy, your prayer, and your money. Be part of it. There's one person who came to me in between services today. And he said to me, you know, <laughs> I was listening to you online. And I was listening to what you're saying in first. And I was listening to and thinking of all the people who have left in those last three years. So I put my coat on and came because you need to know that there are those who are here and those who are coming. You're not alone. We are not alone. None of you are alone. As we finish, could you stand to your feet because we're going to worship and Clemente is going to lead us in worship in a moment. And I want to give people an opportunity to follow Jesus it's simply a, a choice of repentance. Would you close your eyes and prepare your heart? God, forgive me. Forgive us. Even forgive me for the way I can't communicate clearly what you are trying to do. But God, I believe that you are sowing something new something beautiful and there are those in this room who have walked away from you or I've never known you and I want them with all my heart to be part of this new life and so I pray that in the quietness of their heart in this room or online listening later that they would turn to you and say God I'm turning away from my way I'm turning away from my brokenness and pain. It's not working and I can't fix it. If I keep doing this, I'll be stuck here for all eternity in this hurt and pain and brokenness. But Jesus came to offer me new life. So today I choose to turn from my way and turn to yours, to repent. Give me a new life, a new hope, 
a new foundation. Make me one with your presence. Father, forgive us. Give us hope. What a, a powerful prayer and a powerful message, a lot to reflect on as we think about repentance, but also revival, Pastor Nathan talked about. So I hope he give you a lot to think about and to reflect on. Don't forget that we are in our series, 21 Days of Prayer. This is a time where we come together as a community to practice rhythms of prayer, and there are so many ways for you to do that. We have a couple prayer nights on Sunday nights, and we have other things going on throughout the week. You can check that all out on our Now page, but let's practice prayer together every aspect of it, um, even repentance and, and revival as we pray to our Heavenly Father. I uh, hope you've been enjoying it so far, and, and we have a little bit left in this series, so there's more to come, more talk about prayer and the power of it, and, and how we should be involved in prayer as a community. So you'll have that coming up, but uh, as always, if you are someone who is listening, uh, who is a part of our community either regularly or, or occasionally, or, or even if this is your first time, you belong belong to this community you belong to god and therefore you belong to us and with us so if you're going through something tough or if you just need prayer uh, for whatever you do have going on you can always reach out to one of us in person uh, one of us meaning one of the people on staff like myself or the pastors or even just someone in our congregation you can also fill out a connect card to reach out um, in that way and someone will follow up with you but we don't want you to go through whatever you're going through alone in this community. So be sure you take the opportunity to reach out and let us know what's going on with you so we can get you plugged in or just pray for you and be there for you. Well, we hope you have a great week, a blessed week, a week that as difficult as it may be, you reflect on repentance, but also a week where God begins to bring you revival as only he can. So have a great week. We will see you soon and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.